Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Our great guest joining us, Tom Harris, is with us. And uh, Tom is the executive director of the International Climate Science Coalition. And uh, today we're going to be talking about most people across the world do not care about climate change. And uh, according to a Gallup poll, Americans don't mention global warming as a problem. The Washington, uh, the WSJ says climate change has run its course. A recent study says people are dumber during heat waves. And joining us on the phone is Tom Harris. And we've got Don Mazzella back with us. Uh, Tom, uh, break this down for us. I know me and uh, Don have some questions for you, but go ahead and start us off here. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, it's funny because Al Gore was just interviewed by the Vatican News Service, and he said, the climate crisis is now the biggest existential challenge humanity has ever faced. But, you know, according to the latest Gallup poll, very few people in the United States actually believe it. What they did is they asked people a very simple question. What do you think is the most important problem facing this country today? And it turned out that there was one category, environment pollution, and there's only 2% of Americans who said that, and amongst that 2% would have been things like toxic waste dump or ocean pollution, species at risk, and somewhere in there, global warming and climate change. So some very tiny fraction of Americans named it as the most important issue, something way below 2%. <laughs> now, Don, uh, what do you make all this? I agree with you more. And, of course, that's the same across the world, too. I mean, the U.N. doesn't tell you this. They always tell you it's the most important problem. But the U.N. actually has done their own survey, and you can go to their website and just search for My World Global Survey, and they're asking people to rate 16 priorities for the agency as to which ones are most important. And they've had 9.7 million people from around the world uh, actually voting from 194 countries. And climate change, action on climate change, they call it, it rates dead last. <laughs> well, it's very interesting uh, listening to you. And, and uh, uh, it, I, I agree with you, and I intuitively felt that. Uh, but, you know, when uh, the hunters uh, in prehistoric times faced the uh, ice age, they somehow managed to survive that. And I think we somehow will manage to survive uh, climate change. I don't know if you saw today's New York Times. I hate to keep mentioning the paper, but it does bring up a lot of issues. Their feature story today is about islands that are disappearing in the South Pacific because of, quote, global warming. Um, (laughs) But uh, the, the islanders themselves, uh, the interesting thing, they talked about global warming and all the islanders talked about us surviving. They uh, they grow seaweed that's apparently very popular in uh, Asia. And uh, all they're worried about is how they can keep uh, growing their seaweed. I, I yeah. found the, the article uh, uh, very interesting. Mankind has always managed 
to survive everything. I always quote, uh, as you can quote, um, uh, a monk talking about the ultimate weapon that's been discovered. Mankind stands on the brink of uh, disaster and extinction. He was talking about the English longbow after Agincourt. Which, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, uh, well, you know, concerning, uh, you know, I, yeah, concerning the islands, people have to realize that you know, a lot of these islands are coral. They're based on coral or coral atolls. And the coral grows faster than any possible sea level rise unless they're polluting the coral with domestic pollution, unless they're ruining, you know, the, their own island. But <laughs> left to its own devices, coral will grow faster than any reasonable sea level rise that we could ever experience. Well, if you, but you read the uh, climatologists, they all say uh, the coral reefs are dying, uh, but they seem to be uh, growing in other places, but they're dying. Um, uh, uh, I'd like to know more about your organization and what it feel, uh, uh, what its uh, uh, mission is. Yeah, sure. Well, we're a group of climate realists. Some of us are right-wing, some are left-wing, some are centrist. And what we're trying to do is to bring real science into the climate debate in a way that is nonpartisan. And, you know, I think that's really important because right now the climate issue has become a left versus right thing. And it really shouldn't be, because if you think about it, if the left stand for social justice and helping the poor, then they shouldn't support the climate scare. Because of the climate scare, you know, in Ontario, for example, we closed all of our least expensive sources of electricity, which was coal, and uh, we've ended up with a 200% rise in electricity prices, and that hurts, of course, the poor most. So, you know, a lot of this should be depoliticized, and people should simply look at the data. And the data does not support the climate scare. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. But yet, if you uh, uh, look at, like in England, the uh, uh, people that are advocating uh, uh, global warming and all of its dire consequences have, uh, have been shown to, uh, how shall we say, cook the books of deciding how, uh, yeah. uh, well, uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because a lot of people don't understand just how, how these, these uh, I won't, these scientists, quote, unquote, go about uh, deciding uh, what's happening. Yeah, the, the whole issue of cooking the books is something that, you know, I don't want to get into too much because, you know, what's happened recently is there's been lawsuits, and I want to stay away from that. What I'd like to do, though, is tell you that it, if you believe the assertions of groups like the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies, and they, you know, are amongst the alarmists. If you actually take what they say and you actually believe it, it tells you that there's almost nothing happening. Because, for example, they say that between 1880, which was the end of a cold period, and 2017, there was only just slightly over one degree Celsius warm, warming. Okay, slightly more than one degree. You know, so that's hardly catastrophic. And, and, you know, the impact of further CO2 rise diminishes as the concentration increases. Okay, so, and, and similarly, if, if you look at the National Oceanic, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's website, uh, what you find is they have an extreme weather database where they record all the most extreme temperatures and, and hail size and rain and snow and everything else uh, across the United States. And you see there's no increase in extreme weather. And that's the best database of its kind in the world. It's a statewide extreme weather database. 
yet, um, if, if you, again, quoting uh, uh, the New York Times, uh, the, the weather patterns uh, are creating havoc on the uh, west coast of, of the United States. And, um, and in Japan, you have uh, uh, 26,000 people affected by 100-plus degree weather, which is unusual for Japan. Uh, how do you uh, uh, equate the two? Or don't you? Well, well, you know, I think that one of the troubles is these de- these records. You know, when they talk about the hottest temperature, and by the way, it was the coldest in Oregon that it's been on their record in a number of places. Uh, but you know, the database is so short for uh, for that kind of a record. I mean, you were talking about 120 years, but, but the Earth is 4.6 billion years old. And when I talk to geologists, you know, they're the ones who laugh at a lot of the climate scare, they look at climate change over millions and even billions of years. And what they say is that, look, the Earth has been so warm at times there was no ice anywhere on the planet, even in the high mountains. The Earth has been so cold at times that some scientists believe the whole planet was covered with ice, even including the oceans. So, I mean, the kind of temperature changes we're talking about now, it may be a degree warmer or colder, this is nothing in comparison with what nature does all the time. So what we really need to do is we really need to prepare for extreme weather by having our cheapest electricity sources, like coal, and having you know our electrical cables buried underground. You know, that's a really good point. The, the, if I say so myself, uh, during Hurricane Sandy, there was one part of Manhattan that did not lose its electricity or cable or internet, and that's because their cables were all buried underground. So, I mean, yes, you, you have to get ready for extreme weather and climate change, but we can't stop it. Um, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. But I'll, uh, let, let me jump and give you another instance. If you go to New Mexico and the various uh, Hopi and uh, uh, various uh, tribes in there that suddenly experience drought in, in the... Uh, uh, about 1100 uh, A.D. or, or common uh, time, and they, they seem to have weathered it well by, by migrating or changing. Uh, it seems that uh, mankind has the ability to adjust. Do you think they'll yeah. be able to adjust? Oh, yes. I think the small changes that we're talking about now are, are very easy. I mean, it's funny. Greenpeace came to my door a few years ago, and they said, will you help us? stop climate change and and I said yes and and will you stop the next ice age because right now standing where we were there used to be two kilometers of ice over our head I mean that's climate change that is real serious deadly climate change there would be no place in Canada except for one small region in the Yukon where where there wasn't enough precipitation and I guess the winds and everything were such that it wasn't covered with ice but except for that the whole country was covered with ice way down into the United States of course and and so I mean yeah climate changes and you know people have adapted Um, fortunately we're in a very nice period of time right now it's between the ice ages and hopefully this will continue quite a lot longer although geologically speaking we're we should be near the end of this warm period and we should be seeing you know an ice age start to occur sometime in the next few thousand years, but outside of this particular administration's mandate. Uh, uh, What you're saying is music to my ears, because, you know, I listened to this. Uh, I actually interviewed Al Gore many years ago, and I was listening to him, 
and my question is, does he really believe what he says? Well, I think so. I mean, trying to attribute motives to people would require that you read their mind. But, you know, a lot of what Al Gore has said in the past has proven to not be true. I mean, there was supposed to be no ice in the Arctic in the summer. I think it was 2013. All kinds of things. But, I mean, he has the credibility of being an ex-vice president, and so people take him seriously. Uh, but, you know, it, it, what he's saying to just, just recently, as I said in the Vatican News, just Americans don't agree with it. And I think that's a good sign. And people are starting to think for themselves. Well, that's always good. Do you have a book out coming out or something where people can uh, uh, reach out and get some of the, 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 what I find interesting facts? Well, actually, the best thing to do is to go to a webpage called climatechangereconsidered.org. Okay, that is the reports of the non-governmental International Panel on Climate Change. I, I, you know, I work with the Heartland Institute. Who actually, you know, I, I actually give them advice and support them as a as a uh, you know as an advisor. They have hundreds of people like me, and the bottom line is their report. And they published it. It contains thousands of references from peer-reviewed scientific journals, which show that much of the climate scare is just nonsense. And, and you know, this is not right-wing propaganda. These are published in peer-reviewed journals across the world. So when they talk about the consensus of scientists agree, well, this sort of puts the lie to that. I mean, it, it really doesn't seem to make sense at all. You know, I should point out that Heartland is having a conference in New Orleans on the 7th of August, and they're bringing together many experts, people, uh, experts in climate change and energy. It's called the America First Energy Conference, and people should go online. They can, I'm pretty sure you can watch it online uh, out of New Orleans and I think it's something that you know people really should take a look at because you can see the implications of disastrous climate policy actually affects energy a great deal. Like in Ontario here, where we turned off our cheapest form of power because we were going to save the world on climate change or lead the world on climate change. So, I mean, it's not just uh, the fact that we waste a billion dollars a day, if you can believe that, that's how much is being spent on climate finance across the world. People can check it out at the Climate Policy Initiative out of San Francisco. But we're also turning off our cheapest form of power, and, and that's disastrous. Could agree more. But why, do, why is there such an investment in trying to convince people that uh, the, uh, the Earth is warming? Well, I, I, I think somebody has... Uh, Ahead, yeah, there's, there's, there's very clearly some vested interests, for sure. I mean, people that are trying to sell wind turbines, uh, you know, solar power, and nuclear power, for that matter, they, you know, stand to benefit if people think that fossil fuels, which provides 80% of the world's uh, energy, if people think that that is the major contributor to this disastrous climate change that's supposedly going to happen, then people will want to switch to other energy sources. And, you know, a few years ago I saw that, at least at that time, the World Nuclear Association out of London, England, was probably the greatest climate alarmist group in the world. I was, I was stunned when I read their stuff. It, made, it was more than Al Gore's uh, exaggerations. And, of course, their, their idea was that, oh, well, they just build more nuclear stations. Well, there's nothing wrong with nuclear stations if they're built properly and they're, you know, the waste is disposed of and all that. But it isn't going to stop climate change. You wonder how many reactors you build. So, I mean, I have friends, uh, you know, who work in the industry, and, and they've said to me, look, support nuclear power for sensible reasons, not for fairy tale reasons about stopping climate change. <laughs> well, uh, again, 
You know, Jiggy, it's difficult when you have a guest like this, a financial <laughs> <laughs> Now, Now, Tom, we've got Tom Harris with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast, coast to coast, border to border on Talk America Live. And, uh, Tom, th- th- there are a lot of folks out there in the, uh, in the climate change world who uh, they don't listen to a lot of the things that, that you're saying. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you get this across to these folks and educate them? Yeah. Yeah, I think that the way to do it is kind of like this Gallup poll where they ask them, what do you think are the most important issues facing the country? Because, you know, if you think about it, uh, if we're spending over a billion U.S. dollars a day on climate finance, think of what else could be done with that money. Uh, Not only just reducing your taxes, but, I mean, you have to ask people, okay, we have limited funding. Are we going to work on possibly affecting the climate decades in the future? Or are we going to work on things like education? or building our roads. You know, in the United States, um, my cousin is actually an expert on bridges, and he says the U.S. is in a crisis situation where many of your bridges, I mean a high percentage of them, like 25% or something, uh, are in danger of of collapsing or falling down or deteriorating to the point of being dangerous. So, I mean, there's massive infrastructure projects that are needed um, right now, uh, and that that would be far better to spend your money on. But, you know, there's one other climate-related thing that people perhaps haven't thought about, and that is that states like Texas and Louisiana and all, all in that area, they have, of course, hurricane strikes. Now, what they have right now is what's called horizontal evacuation. In other words, jump in your car and drive like crazy and end up stuck in a traffic jam for a whole day. <laughs> but you have to look at other parts of the world. India, for example, on the Bay of Bengal, they have storm shelters, which are multi-story, very strong concrete buildings, built on stilts, basically, so the waves can go underneath. Every kilometer on the whole Bay of Bengal coast, they have vertical evacuation storm shelters. And so no one has to walk more than half a kilometer to get to a storm shelter. But the United States has none of these, okay? And it's going to cost a lot of money to build them. But this is infinitely more sensible than trying to supposedly stop hurricanes. You've got to get ready for them. The U.S. should be building storm shelters instead of this ridiculous approach of clogging your highways and everybody frantically trying to get out of town. You know, so, so there's an example of where climate money can be used sensibly. Yeah, um, you, you know, when I go and talk and um, uh, when I go to the uh, uh, various press clubs, et cetera, or press events, uh, and I, uh, I listen to these people uh, who are my fellow journalists, they really firmly believe that there is a, a warm, uh, warming uh, crisis, and they are the media leaders. They are the people that each day feed, feed uh, the United States uh, and the world, for that matter. How do, how do you, you you convince them to make to at least listen to what you say? Yeah, I think the trick is to show them the downside of supporting the climate scare, showing them how when electricity prices go through the roof, it hurts the poor, or showing that when you convert food crops to biofuels, it takes you know food prices spike around the world. Or when you're building wind turbines, you chop up birds and bats like crazy in, in a lot of regions. Uh, and, of course, it's very, very hard on people that live nearby. In other words, if you show them the impact of the climate scare on things that they care about, you know, like the poor and, and like, like the wildlife, uh, 
then they may take a second look at it because I think that fundamentally it doesn't make sense for the left to be supporting something that really goes against many of the causes they say they believe in. And, and you know, there's one other point, Don and, and Jiggy, um, and that's this. For some strange reason, climate skepticism has become labeled as a right-wing thing. But, you know, the left used to pride themselves on being open-minded <laughs> and actually being skeptical. And, and if you think back in time to when Einstein came out with his theory of relativity, it was the German left that promoted him. It was the German right that went against him, saying it would threaten their worldview. But in the climate issue, it's all being turned upside down. The people that are rigid, dogmatic, and who will not listen to skepticism and will not tolerate alternative points of view, that is the left. So, once again, they're doing things that are contrary to their own best interests. You know, that's an excellent point. Uh, I, hadn't thought of, uh, I hadn't thought about it until you just brought it up, but you're absolutely right. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's amazing when I uh, talk to people, uh, most of the time, I live in the, in the New York City area, so most of the time, I, in the gatherings, I have to keep my mouth shut. Uh, <laughs> unless, um, it, it's true, you know, they they will not tolerate uh, dissenting opinions or even uh, dialogue. We're seeing yeah. that in our universities. Um, well, exactly, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I was, just the other day, I, I saw a little video clip of Seinfeld, who said he won't speak on university campuses because they're so politically correct he said it's creepy, you know, <laughs> or words to that effect. But but I think yeah. the interesting thing, the thing to, you know, there's a line out of the, the next generation Star Trek. You remember with Data, the android and all that? Um, yeah. He had yeah. a line there, and I've used this line before, and I think it applies perfectly when they start to try to shut you up. And that is, Data said, is your point of view so weak it cannot withstand rational debate? <laughs> and, of course, at that point, the people he was talking to turned him off uh, <laughs> because he has, an off switch, he has an off switch apparently behind his neck or something. But, or they zapped him, I can't remember, but they shut him up. And <laughs> the bottom line is that's the question. If they're so confident that their science is right, then fine, defend it, debate it. Don't hide under the table and try to shut people up. And, and to me, that's the, you know, that's the tactic of a person who's not confident. How true, how true. You, uh, unfortunately, you're, you're speaking to the choir, but we, we yeah, have to have it, uh, re, we have to be reminded of that every day because it's true. Uh, I was on, cam on campus a couple of weeks ago uh, listening to a debate, which wasn't really a debate, and uh, I, I, I really felt sorry because uh, uh, the, uh, the con was being... Uh, uh, drowned out by by the audience. Uh, it's sad. Well, uh, well, let me uh, uh, ask you this: uh, this conference that's coming up in August. Well, uh, what, what's its main purpose? Well, its main purpose is to tell people about the America First approach to energy, because you guys can be totally independent on energy if, in fact, you take make the right decisions. And I'm not sure what the balance right now is between ex exports and imports. But the U.S. is the Saudi Arabia of coal, okay? You have more coal reserves than anybody on the planet, enough for centuries. 
you know. So, I mean, this is obviously an energy source that you should not be closing down. And people talk about replacing it with natural gas. I mean, there's going to be discussions about natural gas and, and other things there. But, you know, you have to remember natural gas is a special fuel. It can be used for home heating, uh, for cooking, uh, you know, for all sorts of industrial processes. It shouldn't be wasted on base load energy generation. Okay, I mean, sure, use it for peaking where you can get a gas turbine up and going really quickly if you have a sudden need for electricity. But, you know, base load power sources like coal, like hydro, like nuclear, that's what people should be doing. And, and of course, they're going to be talking at the conference as well about climate change because climate change is, of course, the biggest enemy of fossil fuels because they give off carbon dioxide, which, as I think you pointed out earlier, is not a pollutant. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be a whole discussion about the benefits of fossil fuels, the environmental benefits, and that's something, you know, very few people don't real very few people realize is that as a result of increasing carbon dioxide, some of it certainly caused by fossil fuels, we've seen an increase in crop yield across the planet. We've seen a densification of forests, and of course that's because CO two is plant food. I mean many of the plants in our in our in our biosphere evolved at a time when CO2 was higher than today. People get excited. They say, oh, since 1880, the CO2 has increased 40%. Well, maybe it has, although it's difficult to measure, that's for sure. But 40%, Don and, and Jiggy, yes. that's nothing. In comparison with geologic time, yep. there were times when CO2 was 1,100% of today. So we're at one of Absolutely the lowest amazing. levels. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, we're at one of the lowest levels in history of the Earth. So a lot of these things will be discussed at the conference. It's called the America First Energy Conference in New Orleans, and people can search it on the web if they go to heartland.org. Uh, if they have video, and I'm pretty sure they will, that's where it will be. Tom Harris with us today, Executive Director of the International Climate Science Coalition, the ICSC. And, uh, Tom, I appreciate you making time for us today. Uh, thanks for coming on the broadcast, my friend. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for you, Don, Don and Ziggy. <laughs> yeah, thanks for you, Don. You're a great. Now, now, Don. Uh, but before before we let everybody go, um, I want to start with Don. Don, how do we get a hold of you online? Pick up your books, all that. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic. When I can, I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.